0: church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon.
1: Open up our Bibles this evening to the book of Acts and chapter 3. One of the most important areas and sections of the Bible tonight is the first few chapters of Acts as we look into the book of Acts, how many know that what we find there is the blueprint for what the church is supposed to be? When we look in the book of Acts, we find a model, we find an example, we find the prototype of what the church is supposed to be, even in the year 2018. And whatever we do, so so many people have... uh, added or taken away to what we see in the book of Acts. How many know that when you stick to the blueprint, things usually turn out right? It's The same when you're cooking, you know? When you stick to the recipe, it usually turns out the way it's supposed to. But when we start to experiment, put in a little extra of that, maybe you don't have enough of this, then it never turns out quite like it's supposed to be. So we're going to turn back to the recipe for the church of Jesus Christ tonight in the book of Acts, chapter 3. Let me just also tell you that that we do have a couple of Bible reading plans that we are promoting uh, as we go into the new year. The church together is going to start a whole Bible reading plan starting on the 1st of January. And so uh, if you are using that Bible app, uh, it's very easy to subscribe to the Bible plan together with us. Uh, if you don't use the Bible app, then we will also uh, be printing out some copies of that Bible reading plan, so you keep it in your Bible, and each day you keep uh, keep up and and uh, stay together with the rest of the church. It's a great great privilege together to read the Bible and read the same scriptures, so we can stay on the same page together. So once again, Acts chapter three, we look into the Word of God. How uh, I many you know sometimes in life? You just need the right opportunity. Sometimes you just need to know the right person, to get your foot in the door. Over the last few years, there's been a phenomenon of uh, television programs like American Idol or uh, America's Got Talent, and some of these uh, reality style programs that are, di- their whole purpose is to discover buried talents. And there have been some big names that have been discovered because of these shows. Names like uh, Carrie Underwood, who was from a little podunk city from uh, Redneck Village, USA. And uh, she came and and won the, the competition and has been making incredible music. How about some Christian artists like Mandisa, who first debuted her skills on American Idol? Uh, Danny Gokey and others that that, uh, can come to mind. What what these shows do is is something incredible. They provide a platform for undiscovered talent. These are people who live average lives and do average things, but given the right opportunity, they can do things that previously they were unable to do. When they found the right opportunity... Many of them were discovered and were able to do great things in the music world. Well, I want to tell you tonight that there are many Christians and probably some here tonight that God has big plans for you, that God has a destiny for you, that God has people that He wants you to speak to and you to pray for and you to minister to and make a disciple that you could do great something great for God. Listen, can I tell you that just making one disciple is such an important part of the kingdom of God? I ask you tonight, can God challenge you to make a disciple? Make what Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. If everyone here would take that call seriously to make a single disciple, maybe take a, the next 12 months and say, God, I want you to help me. I want you to help me to pray with somebody and bring them under my wing so that I can make a disciple out of them. That's a worthy goal, isn't it tonight? What would happen if every person here would take that seriously? Don't wait for somebody else to, to, uh, to call your phone. But you go and pursue somebody and say, God, I want to be active making a disciple. If everyone here would take that call seriously, I want to tell you there's no limit to what God could do in this church. That this would be a multiplying church. And I believe that God wants us all to be involved in these activities, not just witnessing on the street, not just handing out flyers. We believe in those things. But I believe God would have us step up to something more. Can you say amen? Sometimes... In order to get to that place of ministry, sometimes we just need the right opportunity. What we're reading about in the Scripture tonight is an opportunity. It's a foot-in-the-door moment that God gave to these first few disciples, John and Peter, that they were just about their business, doing what they normally did. And as they stepped out in faith, God gave them a foot-in-the-door opportunity And when that door opened up, it became one of the critical key moments to the growth of the early church. And what they did in our scripture we're about to read became a critical chapter to the overwhelming revival that happened in the city of Jerusalem. And I wonder tonight that maybe if you would have some faith and go about your daily business, maybe God would give you that foot-in-the-door moment that could possibly open up a whole new world of possibilities for ministry, for revival, for souls to be saved, for bodies to be healed, for families to be changed, for marriages to be restored. All we need tonight is this foot in the door. That's the name of my message this evening, foot in the door. And let's read about this account in Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse One, we're going to go through the whole chapter, so read along with me tonight. It says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That means it's about three in the afternoon. It's a daily prayer time for the Jews. A certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms, in other words, he was begging, From those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him and walking and praising God, then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And watch this, they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, verse 11, As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. He began his second most famous sermon, where he says, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though By our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. No, it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Let's take a moment tonight and pray. Father, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. Once again, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house I pray, God, for the attention of your people to be fixed upon your word. Lord, that we would be able tonight to hear your voice and your truth even through these scriptures. I pray that you would anoint, Lord, these words and that you would bring them to a point of conviction. God, that you would drive us to action through these words. And I pray that you would bring revival in this congregation and in our own hearts tonight. We put our trust only in you, God. We're praying by the precious blood of Jesus Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of God tonight? Say amen. Glory to God. So a foot in the door. I want to begin tonight looking at this scripture, and, uh, and I want to begin by looking at the normal Christian life. Everybody say, the normal Christian life. Because what we see in this very first few verses is we see the normal Christian life. What do you mean by that, Pastor. There are some very abnormal things that happened in that scripture. I didn't see anything normal, but what I want to tell you is that what you experience on a day-to-day basis is actually not normal. If we truly had faith like Peter and John did, then we would live the way that they lived. Remember tonight, Peter and John were not superhuman. They were not Thor and Tony Stark. They were not Avengers. They were not uh, super-duper. No, these were average, everyday fishermen, right? Jesus had pulled them off the lake and said, come follow me. Fishermen back then are just like fishermen today. You ever seen a fisherman? Okay, if you're planning to start a brand new corporation, your first step is not to go to the lake and grab a few guys with worm guts all over their fingers. You know what I'm saying? But that's exactly what Jesus did. He went and he found some average fishermen. He began to teach them, to disciple them. Jesus went to the cross for them. He redeemed them. He restored them. He put them in the position of leadership. And now here they are after Jesus has gone back to heaven. And all they are, all they are is normal guys who follow Jesus. I want to tell you that there's hope for us in that truth right? There is hope for you. You don't have to be superhuman. You don't have to go to cemetery. I mean, seminary to really do something for God. You don't have to watch. You don't have to watch Christian television. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You can do something for God tonight. Say amen. Let's say it together. I can do something for God. That's exactly what I was trying to tell you. You can do something for God. You don't have to wait for somebody. You don't have to disqualify yourself. You can do something for God. What we see in this scripture is the way a Christian life really ought to look. So let's examine what the normal Christian life looks like. Number one, it says that Peter and John went up together. Everybody say together. The first thing about Christians that you need to know is that we are not isolated from one another We are a family, we are a body, we are united together in Christ. We sang that song tonight that said, Unite our hearts to be for you alone. That is the first thing we've got to understand. When you join this church, when you join the church of Jesus, you are joining together, not just with a social club, you are becoming part of Jesus Christ's body on the earth. And the body desperately needs parts. (laughs) Okay, just like every part of your body is necessary, you can't just chop off your hand with no ill effects, right? If you woke up tomorrow morning and your left hand was missing, you would notice it, right? There would be a, a serious effect on your life. There are certain things you would not be able to do. And in the same way tonight, as a Christian and as a member of the body of Christ, when you are missing... We all notice, (laughs) right? The body of Christ is together. We are together spiritually. We are together physically. When we come to church, we worship together. We sing the the same songs together. We listen to the same messages together. Hopefully, you're together with us on the Bible reading plan. We We go together for outreach. And there's a lot of things. We pray together. That's because... We are together as a people of God. And that's a great thing. It doesn't mean that we're all the same, that we're some kind of drone program. It doesn't mean that we're all communists, dressed the same, you know, uh, with the same shoes and the same tie and the same shirt and the same underpants. No, listen, we all have our own personalities. We're all unique. And, and, but at the same time, God is gathering us together to be His body, to be something greater and we could on our own. So we live in a generation where the, the church wants to be anonymous. That was a good place to say amen. This is why television church is so popular. Because you can watch in your chonies and don't have to be accountable to nobody. And you can watch Smiley Face on the television and you can say, amen, preach it, pastor. And, uh, and you don't really have to be together with anybody. We're living in a generation now where... It's difficult to overcome our, uh, our fear of crowds and fear of other people. Some people are antisocial. Some people are introverts. You know, and if you're an introvert, that's okay. God uses introverts too in special ways. And, uh, you know, extroverts depend on introverts to come up with some good ideas. <laughs> but that does not remove our responsibility to be together. So that's the first thing we see. Peter and John were together. Second thing we see is that they went together to the temple at the hour of prayer. Everybody say prayer. These were guys. Nobody had to tell them. Nobody had to beg them. Nobody had to put an alert on their smartphone. Better make sure that you guys get to prayer at the prayer hour. They had a desire to be in prayer. Can I ask you tonight? Do you have the desire to be in prayer? To be in connection with God, the one who saved you, the one who continually is raising you up? Prayer is so critical. I believe tonight that the reason that these two men, John and Peter, that they were going together, they they didn't understand everything that was going to play out that day. But one thing they did know, I'm going to be in the prayer meeting. I'm going to be there because... I need to talk to God, and I need Him to talk to me. Is this a priority in your Christian life? Is this something that you are continually working on, your your time of prayer? If we want to see God do great things through our life, how do we expect to see that if we don't want to pray? I'm starting to lose a few people because we always need to work on our prayer lives, don't we? No matter how strong you think you are in your faith, no matter how many years of Christianity you have your, under your belt, you are still not a perfected prayer warrior, are you? In fact, the more time that goes by, the more I realize that my prayer life is, is, is weaker than I thought it was. Tonight, we see that they were motivated to get to prayer. Now, I, I, the, the second thing I want to show you from this scripture is, is not only the normal Christian life, but I want to show you the world that is in need. Because this man, who, this beggar, who's laying at the gate of the temple, he represents for us a world that is in need. He represents the sinner, the lost, the broken. The Bible tells us that he was lame from his mother's womb. In other words, his entire life, he never knew what it was like to walk, to stand on his feet, to play play games like other children would. He was lame from his mother's womb. Now, that was true uh, physically for this man. But how many know that we are lame from the womb in a spiritual sense, right? Every single one of us, we are born into this world under the curse of sin. We are born together in, uh, David says, in iniquity was I conceived that from the womb, that we don't understand the things of God. We We understand things of the flesh. We understand what it means to give in to temptation, to step in, not just to fall in temptation, but to jump in with both feet, right? That's why we understand that, you know, when it comes to children, you don't have to train them how to sin. They already know. I was watching a video with my girls just today. We, were, we found on YouTube, we were watching this funny little show. It was like, a, you know, one of those try not to laugh challenges. And here's this little guy, he must have been two or three years old. And of course, he's got chocolate all over his face. And the dad's asking him, he's got him on the, on the cell phone camera. He says, did you go downstairs? Yeah. Oh, did, did, what were you doing down there? Nothing. Uh, did, did you find the candy? No, no, no. I don't know what kind of candy you're talking about. He says, Are you sure? Because all the candy's gone. He says, Oh, really? Oh, you know who ate the candy? Who ate the candy? It was my sister. She ate the candy. It's all over his face. From two years old, three years old, how many you know? Our children are trained. They know how to sin. You were, came out of the womb knowing how to do wrong, how to lie, how to steal. Because that is our default position in life. Just like this man, that from his womb, he was lame in his feet. But we all, as the world still is, we were lame in our spirit. The Bible said that he had to be carried. He was dependent on the help of others. It said that they laid him daily at the gate of the temple. He was dependent on the kindness of others. He was dependent, and he would go and begin to beg and ask alms. And what we see in him tonight, I want to tell you, we see in him a picture of the world that is lost. Here's what's interesting to me. Do you think that Peter and John were the only ones going into the temple that day? Remember, they were in Jerusalem, the center of the nation of Israel, and in the center of the city, there is the temple which is the center of religious activity for the entire nation, God's people. And every day there's activities happening in there. There's sacrifices, there's ritual cleansings, there's no doubt bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, there's circumcisions going on, children who are eight days old. There's all kinds of things happening at the temple. So there's people walking in and out of this gate every day. Probably every minute there's at least one person walking by And that's probably why he's parked himself there. Because he he knows that there's going to be some traffic. What's interesting to me is that of all of those righteous, holy, religious people, nobody ever thought to give him more than five bucks. Until Peter and John came along. You know what that tells me? It tells me that there's probably still a few people that you're walking by every day. And every day in your mind, you're thinking, ah, oh, they probably don't want to hear what I have to say. Oh, I probably couldn't really help them. But they probably already have some, some kind of religion. I don't really want to offend them and, you know, and, and get into a religious argument. But how many you know, if you're lame in your feet, the best thing that could happen to you is to be healed. If, if we are lame in our souls tonight, The best possible thing that could happen to you is that someone would present a message of hope, forgiveness, and peace. Can you see those who are spiritually lame lying before the gate on a daily basis? I believe that this guy, this was not the first time that he was there. He'd been there day after day. He had found a spot where he found some blessing. There's an opportunity there. Can you see tonight that those people who are spiritually lame, that that could be an opportunity. It could be the foot in the door that opens to greater things for God. Could it be tonight that that coworker who's always cussing and telling dirty jokes, could it be? He, he's just lame in his soul, right? He's crippled in his heart. He doesn't understand the evil that he's involved in. Could it be that just a few words tonight from your mouth, from your testimony, could bring healing to his soul? Every service, we have this prayer list that we put out. You know, God was dealing with me today because, uh, you know, as I go through the, these, this pile, I don't know if you, you all know this, but we have this pile of our song service songs that I have to go through and pick out a few that we haven't done for a couple of weeks, you know. And put together a little playlist for each service, and, and as I'm flipping through, I'm finding these uh, these prayer request sheets. We do a new one every service, and so, you know, we, 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 uh, we put these out there by faith, believing God that, you know, that there's a few prayer needs that are on there, and we believe in prayer, we believe in the power of God that He can answer our needs, right? So this morning as I'm going through those sheets, I find uh, maybe seven or eight of those old prayer lists. I'm looking at all of these needs, all of the names that are on there. You know, each one of those needs, I'm only seeing a name on there, but behind that name is a real need of humanity, right? There's a real desperate person. And, and if, you, uh, if you are willing enough to put a name on a prayer list that's going to be announced in public before a church, that tells me that that's a serious need, right? So I'm looking at these prayer sheets, and I just hand them off to Asher, who was up here. I said, Asher, go toss these in the trash. <laughs> and he just, kind of, uh, he just kind of mentioned, he said, oh, those poor people. And I thought, yeah, those poor people. We just prayed for them one time and then forgot about them. Toss them in the trash. Do you know, could it be tonight that every one of these prayer needs on this list is an opportunity for the kingdom do we truly believe that God can answer Renee's unspoken need tonight? Do we really believe that God could bring healing in the life of Catherine and her fibromyalgia? That's a serious illness, isn't it? She has intense pain in her body. It affects her mind and her soul. Do we truly believe that God can answer that prayer request? Or is it just part of our routine? Throw it away next service. Do we walk by like so many did that day? Or can we, like Peter and John, can we open our eyes to the needs that are in our lives? Maybe even here tonight. Can we open our eyes to the needs that are around us? You know, I'm hearing a whole lot of sniffling here tonight. A whole lot of coughing. I'm hearing a whole lot of people who are in pain. Do we still believe that God's a healer? If God can heal a man who is lame from his mother's womb, then what's a little cold, a little sniffle? No big deal, right? Jesus said, we have not because we ask not. There is power in prayer. So we see this man who represents to us a world that is in need prayers and, and sicknesses and illnesses and things that we're praying for, believing God for tonight. So let's see then what the normal Christian should do. Now remember, these are Peter and John, normal, average, everyday fishermen. And let's see what they did. Verse 6, as, uh, as this man looks at them and he's expecting to receive something from them, Peter says these incredible words. He says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And can you, can you imagine what this man who was sitting on the ground, what he was probably thinking? Probably like, come on, man. Just, just give me whatever you got, right? You, you walk by people like that. I've seen people at the gas station, you know, I'm going in. And, uh, and they're asking for some change or a few bucks or whatever. And so, so a couple of times I, I've gone up to them and said, you know, I I I don't have any money that I can give you, but I can pray for you. And they're like, okay. <laughs> I wonder if it was like that that day. Come on, man. We all know what this is about. This is a transaction. You're going to help me out, and I'm going to have something to eat later. But Peter was aiming for something higher, wasn't he? He was trying to do something greater. He said, silver and gold I do not have. And by the way, that's a little clue tonight. That Peter was not involved in the prosperity gospel of Creflo Dollar and $65 million jet planes. Creflo Dollar could not say that line because he's got plenty of silver and gold. And by the way, if you got a lot of silver and gold, it probably means you don't have the Holy Ghost. It probably means you don't have the ability to pray and see somebody get saved. It probably means you're in it for yourself. The church today can't say that anymore. Silver and gold, I do not have. But here's what we can say together tonight. Even if we don't have silver and gold, we have something even more important. We are filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost. Remember, it was only the previous chapter, right? Just on the previous page in chapter 2, where they had all been gathered together in the upper room that they were praying and waiting upon the Lord just like Jesus had told them to. And as they were praying there together, they heard a sound as of a rushing mighty wind and divided tongues as a fire began to fall upon each one of them. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And as they spoke out in tongues by faith, everyone who was there that day for the celebration began to hear the Gospel being preached, the good news of Jesus Christ on the cross And Him crucified and rose from the dead. They all heard it in their own languages. And it was an amazing time. It was an amazing uh, movement of the Spirit. Something happened that day that had never happened before. And here they are only a few days later. And so when, when Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, he's not saying that so that we can feel sorry for him. He's saying that because he wants to tell this man who is begging what is filling his life, he says, I might, I might have an empty bank account, but I've got a spirit that is full today. Can I tell you, that is the normal Christian life. That is the normal Christian life. You might be, you might be empty when it comes to physical things, when it comes to finances. When it come, Listen, we all go through some tough stuff in our lives. And we might be able to say tonight, I, I don't have everything all together, but what I do have, I can give that to you. I have a little faith. I believe God that, can, that he can heal you today. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I tell you, I don't think it was, it was like the, the spitting Pentecostal preachers on TV. I don't think it was like that. I don't think it, he had to raise his voice higher than, than normal. I don't think he had to sweat and get the sweat rag out to pray for the man. I don't think he had to put on a necktie I don't think he had anything else. All he had to do was say this little prayer, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's it. He didn't have to use preacher voice. He didn't have to bounce on his tippy toes. All he had to do is say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Did you notice that? It was not an hour long prayer. It was not half an hour. It was about 10 seconds. Sometimes we get caught up in the semantics. We get caught up in the religious paraphernalia. We get caught up in the mechanics of things. We think, and what that really is, is that we think we're going to generate some kind of miracle because of how excited we are. You can't generate anything on your own except a whole bunch of mess. All Peter did was he called out the name of Jesus and he said, rise up and walk. All he did was he did what he had seen Jesus do a thousand times. By the way, you're in good territory. If you just do the things that you have seen and the things that you have heard. This is what normal Christians ought to do. When you see somebody who's sick, do you say, "Oh, that's too bad for them." I'll say a prayer later today and then forget. Or can you like Peter, when you see the need, can you respond? You say, in the name of Jesus, I believe you can be healed. Somebody's sick on your job. I'm amazed. If you start asking people for prayer requests, they've got a few. We've done a few uh, outreaches where that's all we do. We go out without flyers in hand. Maybe we'll do that again here in the next few weeks. We leave the flyers at church. We'll knock on the door and we'll say, hey, we're here from the potter's house. All we're here to do is pray for people. Do you have any prayer needs? And can you be amazed at the prayer needs that come out from people's mouths. My father is addicted to drugs. My brother is in Afghanistan. You know, the prayer needs that come out of people's mouths, you'd be amazed if you will simply respond. And we can say, listen, we are the people. We are representing Christ. We are the ones who can say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God can answer that prayer. Now let's look at what... The next thing that he did, verse 7. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Everybody say, lifted him up. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Peter and John were willing to do a little work for this guy. They they weren't just going to pray for him and pat him on the back and say, Have a nice day, buddy. See you later. Come to the church sometime. See, the miracle did not happen immediately, did it? The miracle, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And, you know, it wouldn't be cool if it was like Superman, that he just jumped up just like that all by himself. That's not what happened, though. The next thing is that Peter had to reach down, grab his hand, and pick him up. He had to get involved in that man's life, didn't he? Peter had to do something. The miracle took place when Peter got physically involved with that beggar. Sometimes, you know, we, we want to see those miracle uh, conversions, right? We want, we want to go to somebody's door and hand them a flyer, and they fall to their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? And uh, immediately they take all of their drug paraphernalia and toss it in the trash, and they pour the whiskey down the drain, and they say, oh, we'll see you at church. Yeah, I'll be there. That's not usually how it happens, is it? I mean, we'll give God glory when that does happen. But the way it normally happens is that you pray for somebody and you've got to lift them up a little bit. You've got to get involved. You've got to get them on the phone. You've got to bring them out. You've got to go pick them up for church. You've got to make a disciple. The miracle happened as Peter reached down and lifted this man up took him by the right hand did you ever notice that the miracle didn't just happen when he prayed it happened when he lifted him up so often when jesus prayed for people jesus would pray and he he would say be healed by your faith let it be let it be according listen jesus whenever he prayed for somebody and they were healed he would always give the credit not to himself did you ever notice that he says it is your faith that has made you well this is the sign of faith in action that Peter reaches down his hand and lifts him up. And immediately, back to verse 7, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Let me ask you, who are you reaching out to tonight? Whose hand are you grabbing? Is there someone tonight, not just praying for them, not just lifting their name up twice a week or twice a year in prayer? But whose hand, who have you called? Who have you, whose life have you been involved in? It could be here in Virginia Beach, yes. But this could be someone around the world. You know, people like to be lifted up. People want to be encouraged. When people come to church, can I tell you, they're not just looking for a slick sermon. They're looking for a friend. They're looking for someone who will lift them up they're looking for someone who will get involved in their life. They're looking for friends, for a community. This is what the church can offer. Look, I know the, the world has a lot of things to offer, right? The world has a lot of entertainment to offer. The world has amazing plays and movies and concerts. It's hard for us to compete, right? When we have our little concert on a Saturday night, We're like just barely keeping the lights on, you know? So it's hard for us to compete when it comes to a concert. But you know where we can compete? You know what we do have to offer that the world cannot give? We can encourage you. We can lift you up. You can walk out of these doors feeling better than when you came in. And that's because the Holy Ghost moves through the church. That's what we have to offer tonight, and that's where we need to focus on the lifting up. And when we lift up, I want to tell you, God gets involved. God is the one who strengthens the feet and the ankle bones. God is the one who is able to strengthen in a miraculous way so that people can stand up on their feet. And the person that they had all known sat there at the temple gate for years, ever since he was born for the first time, he can stand, he can walk, and he can leap. What a picture of salvation tonight. When Jesus, he, he, when he prayed for people, he said, by your faith, you have been made whole. Everybody say whole. I'm not talking about H-O-L-E, hole in the ground. I'm talking about W-H-O-L-E in the Greek. That's a wonderful word. In the Greek, the word is when you have been made whole, it is not just that you've gotten a healing in your body. It is the healing of the soul, of the spirit. It is a reconciliation between you, a sinner, and God who is holy. That's what it means to be made whole. When We pray for people who are on their deathbed. We pray for people who are close to eternity, sometimes you know, we always believe God for healing, but you know at some point we all also know that people are going to pass into eternity. So in those moments, we're not just praying for physical healing. We're praying for spiritual wholeness, for a relationship with God. We're praying, God, forgive their sins so they can know you personally. Make them whole. Even though their body is broken, God, you are able to make them whole in spirit, in righteousness. This is what he received that day. He was made whole. So look at the results tonight as we close. We see the results in verse 8. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them. Let me first of all say that true salvation, you'll be able to notice it. It's not invisible. If your salvation is invisible, you're probably not saved. (laughs) <laughs> if you're still the same old dude that you've been for 25, 30, 50 years ago, I, wanna, I would question, if nothing has changed in your life, listen, these, this man was radically changed. One moment, he couldn't walk. The next moment, he was leaping. He wasn't just saying, oh, thanks, guys. Catch you later. No, he was leaping. I'm not going to attempt to do what he was doing. He was leaping and praising God. His life was radically changed. Listen, if you've been changed, let it be on the outside, not just this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, I'm going to wear my Christian t-shirt. That's great. But listen, let's let's let our faith be noticeable. Let's let our faith be on our lips and on our hearts. We ought to be excited. If you have ho-hum Christianity, if people look at you and say, I don't want to be like that, then something's wrong. All the people, verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. Something had radically shifted in his life. They noticed a difference. This is what we pray for. New converts. People who are new to the faith are wonderful, aren't they? They're wonderful because they don't know what not to do. They They haven't learned all the... Christian rules yet. I love it. Sometimes when when the, the cu- when you're given a testimony and they're so excited that a, a cuss word accidentally slips out in church. You know what I'm saying? They're just so excited. I love it. They don't know all the rules. Here's a guy. You're supposed to be subdued and quiet in the temple. Oh, but not the man who had walked for the first time in his life. He's walking and leaping and praising God. And the people noticed him. See, when revival breaks out, the world will begin to notice. The world will begin to take notice what is happening down there at the potter's house. It's a bunch of drug addicts are all of a sudden they're different than they used to be. They're on a new drug. They're on the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 10. Then they knew. In other words, the people who were there, they put two and two together. They understood. They knew that it was the man who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And this caused them, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Can I tell you today, can I tell you this evening, this is what the world lacks. The world cannot cause wonder and amazement. Even the best that the world has to offer cannot cause a person to be to be filled with wonder. Say the word wonder. When's the last time God has caused you to wonder in amazement? That is amazing. That is awesome. Only God can produce what is awesome. Only God can cause the human heart to wonder. If it's been weeks or months or years since you have truly wondered at the awesomeness of who God is and what He can do, then God needs to shake you up tonight. This is why miracles are so important to the church. This is why we need to contend in our prayer life. God, give us miracles. Give us miracle converts. Give us miracle healings. Give us miracle marriages coming together. God, give us miracle families that were broken apart. God, you bring them back. Because what miracles do is they cause an unbelieving world to be filled with wonder and amazement. And here's where we get to the moment that I want you to understand. So what Peter and John did that day is what every Christian is expected to do. (laughs) They were just doing what normal Christians should be doing. They're going to prayer. They're together. They're in unity. They pray for a man, and he gets healed. That's, That's part of the normal Christian experience. It should be. If it's not for you, then you are not a normal Christian. Let me just tell you that. Normal Christians will see miracles. Some of y'all, the the faith is bleeding out of you tonight. I don't know what happened. But see, when they believed God, when Peter spoke to this man, the power of Jesus, rise up, and he picked him up on his feet, wonder and amazement, now comes the opportunity for Peter to minister. Now look at this, verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. And he launches out, On the second Holy Ghost-filled sermon of the New Testament, first one being in Acts chapter 2, second one is here in chapter 3, he starts preaching. Now some of you think that only the preacher can preach. Only the pastor should be the one who gives a sermon. Oh no, beloved, if you are saved, then you have the ability to preach. And you need to preach. Especially when you get an opportunity for people to see what God... If you have the opportunity, the whole New Testament is full of opportunities. The Apostle Paul, later in the book of Acts, he gets arrested. They're dragging him around in prison. And all of a sudden, he finds himself before a judge, before a king, before a prince. He's there before Festus. And he says, I'm here for another reason. They arrested me. But what I want to tell you is about Jesus. I want to tell you about how he changed my life and how he could change your life. See, this is the reason that you're still alive tonight. This is the reason God has not taken you to heaven yet. The reason you're still here is because God wants to give you an opportunity to tell his story about what he's done in your life. This was the foot in the door. When this man got healed, he stood, he's leaping, He's joyful. He's all the people looking at him. And now Peter sees his opportunity. And he took it. Many Christians right there are filled with fear. But don't be afraid. When the world sees miracles and signs and wonders, this is the foot in the door that we must take advantage of. He begins to explain to them who it is that worked this miracle. It's, no, it wasn't me. It was the God in heaven. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, if you flip the the page and go to chapter 4, we're going to close here. I just want to finish the story. Acts chapter 4. Now, you would think that everyone would be excited about this miracle. You would think tonight that everyone would be thankful that the guy's not there asking for their money every day. You would think tonight that everyone would be happy about a man who got saved and healed. But just like how salvation is today, it is a polarizing experience. A saved and a changed transformed life. It causes people either to go one way or the other. Either people like Peter and John will gather together and rejoice with this man, or they will be led to persecute. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. It says they laid hands on them. And that doesn't mean that they were praying for them. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day For it was already evening. So there's the one side of the polarization. They say, we can't have these people talking about Jesus. We can't have them performing miracles. We've got to lock them up. There's one side. The other side is in the same verse. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Did you catch that? That was only the number of men. Most of these men would have had families. So now we're talking about a church of 20,000 people or more. Often what you see in the New Testament and wherever on the earth where true revival is happening, you're seeing the same thing. You're seeing a few Christians being persecuted and you're seeing the church multiply and grow at the same time. Probably the reason that we don't have revival in America is because we're not having persecution. Now, I don't wish for persecution. I don't want the police to come bust down the door and arrest all of us. But here's what I can tell you. If that did happen, the church would explode. Revival would break out. Places where there is true revival, like China or North Korea, where there is real persecution, where there are Christians dying for the faith. I want to tell you, there are thousands and thousands who are believing Christ. Places like Iran, Saudi Arabia, where Christianity is outlawed, where Christians are tortured and persecuted and put in prison, and at the same time the church multiplies and grows, you can't stop it. Persecution is like pouring gasoline on a fire. And the more they tried to keep Peter and John quiet, the more the church multiplied and multiplied. Look as we close. They're standing before these judges and these, these, the, the, the men of the temple. Verse 7. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or what name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to the people of Israel that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and by him this man stands before you whole. He testified about the power of Jesus They did all that they could to shut them up. And by the end of this chapter, chapter 4, they send them away. They beat them up a little bit, roughed them up, put a few bruises on their heads, and sent them away. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. Aren't you glad they didn't obey the word of man? They obeyed the word of God. And in verse 29 of chapter 4, they began to pray. They went back to their prayer room and they cried out to God and they said, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word, stretching out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And look at the response from heaven when they prayed. The place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit again and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Everybody say boldness. This is what's missing in most Christians today. Yeah, we have a faith, but it's tucked away. We're timid, we're shy, we're fearful. But on that day, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they received boldness. They said, we're going to keep talking about Jesus. We're going to keep contending for miracles. So here's my challenge for you as we close tonight. Do you realize that around you, on every side, when you walk out of this door, I want you to be challenged tonight to look for the foot in the door. Look for the opportunity. Look for the drug addict. Look for the guy who's addicted to cocaine. Look for the guy who is beating his wife because he's he's drunk every night. Look for the guy whose family is falling apart on your job, look for the guy, look for the girl whose life is a mess, who's hopping from bed to bed like a rabbit. Look for the person whose life is in torment, who's lame in their feet. Could it be tonight? That's the foot in the door. That's the person that if they would get saved, if they would be changed, that everyone in the town would notice, would be filled with wonder and amazement. And that you can testify to the one who does the miracle. That's what we believe God for. I thank God, you know, when God brings in people. When God brings them in and, you know, they're, they're, they're great people and they, they've got nice smiles on their face. But you know what I'm really believing God for in 2019? God, give us some raw sinners, man. Give us some people who desperately need the gospel. Give us some broken people that we can get involved in. We can reach into their lives and begin to help them up. And God, you do an incredible miracle in their lives. Church, would you believe God with me for that? For the signs and the miracles and the wonders? For souls to be saved and bodies to be healed? Would you pray with me on that? More than that, would you say, God, make me an instrument. Help my eyes to be open to those beggars that are, that are laying on the ground just waiting for someone to believe God for them. Who knows what God could do with your life if you would believe God? This man, this lame man became a key to the rapid growth of the church in Jerusalem. And it's because mostly because of him in these first few chapters that the fame of Jesus went all throughout the city and the church. Was multiplied. Could it be that that would happen here in Virginia Beach tonight? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. What we desperately need tonight is a foot in the door.
0: We thank you again for listening.